Hello, everyone. I am Chris Himes, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the final installment of Here to Help for 2021. Today is December 13th. We're on day 650 of Global Work from Home, and this is episode number 71 of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us up at night. And what powers that mission is our people. Here to Help is a look at how people's experience and stories inspire them to want to help others. Today is a very special episode for me, one that I've been looking forward to for some time. And even before she knew that she would be a guest, uh, I knew I wanted to have Lisa Ramirez on Here to Help. Lisa joined Indeed in August of 2019 as my chief of staff, and she has been side-by-side with me at first in person and then virtually since March of 2020 through every single challenge, success, brainstorm, debate, global event, and individual conversation. My job has been completely transformed from getting to work with Lisa. A huge part of her job is what you might think of as being behind the scenes, but that's changing right now. Last month, Lisa joined Indeed's senior leadership team as our senior vice president of operations. I'm excited for all of you to get the opportunity to get to know Lisa a bit. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And I almost left the mute button on just so that you could say, Lisa, you're on mute. Um, Just to like really give people a feel for our meetings over the past uh, two years. So, um, well, let's let's start off uh, where we always start these conversations. How are you doing today? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you just a, a minute ago, but um, if you had asked me about an hour before we started, I would have said, well, I'm doing pretty good. I had a great weekend. Um, And then, um, you know, we had a pretty big meeting this morning um, where I had to uh, really look at my uh, self and some things that I had done and and take ownership of a problem that I created. Um, And so that's always a just great way to start a Monday uh, is telling telling the whole team. Actually, the reason why everyone's upset is really uh, something that I did wrong. Um, but, you know, I am a huge believer um, in, in that kind of stuff. So uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a good way to remind myself um, that we're all human on this uh, Monday morning. How are you doing this morning? Um, I am doing very well. Uh, it, w- what you just described is something that I have done over and over and over again. And um, frankly, it was great that it was you and not me today. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation, um, and and I'm really looking forward to to talking about some stuff that maybe we don't talk about uh, very much as an organization. And um, I think folks are going to get a lot out of it. So let's let's start with your current job. So you are, uh, as of last month, Indeed's Senior Vice President of Operations. What would you say you do around here? What, what does that job entail? Um, that's a great question. Um, I had a thought to maybe ask you, but um, actually, um, really, my job, and we, we talked about this, um, you know, last week, what is really to enable um, Indeed to accomplish its vision and mission. Um, so my job is just to make sure that everything is working um, at its most efficient and most effective so that um, in all Indeedians can really help people get jobs and put job seekers first. And so um, I need to be focused really at all times on anything that's getting in people's way. I think one aspect of leadership is that um, people sort of tend to think that you tell everyone what to do. And really, we need to spend all of our time just removing obstacles um, so that the people on the front lines can do what they know needs to get done. And so that's really that's really how I see my job is just making it possible for everybody else to do theirs. One big part of what Here to Help is all about is what I like to think of as uh, people's origin story. 
Um, so how, as I say in the beginning, how their experiences and stories inspire them to want to help others. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your early formative experiences and how you how you became who you are? So there, um, that's a great question. There are a couple of things that I think are are pretty critical to to my story, and you know, it really starts with my parents. Um, my mom. Uh, is is a teacher. Uh, she will always be a teacher. Uh, she does not get paid to be a teacher right now, but she will always be a teacher. My dad's an engineer. And um, and my dad's family, um, hard work is sort of the the essential ingredient to 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 your worth. And so um he's one of 13. And um the the thing that you know in our family um, is whether or not someone is a hard worker. So um, when someone comes into the family, it, they're basically judged by like, are they helping? Are they not helping? Are they are they working? Are they not? And so, um, very very formative lessons. Um, you know, we still talk about when Kristen brought one upper to the family party, and he didn't really work very hard. And we'll talk about that forever. Um, uh, my family also loves a good story, so you will hear lots of good stories throughout. I, I learned the art of a good story pretty early and often. And my mom, as a teacher, um, is also just not not only is she always teaching, but she's always helping. So she ran um, a GED, which is the high school equivalency program um, in New Orleans. And um, every day she would come home, I would listen to her stories of the people. And it wasn't just, she just wasn't a teacher. She was also helping them like get their first job and really think through their lives. And, um, growing up, we always had an aunt or an uncle living with us. Um, and they, they would come to our house, um, right after graduating high school and my parents would get them ready for college and they would get them their first jobs. And, um, and so I learned this, like, deep sense of like hard work, but extreme help. And so um, those are the two things that I sort of like have taken with me is that, you know, you work really hard. Um, you, you, you work hard uh, to gain privilege, if you will. And, and I have been, I have a very privileged existence, um, but then you always give back and you're always looking for um, the person that you can help. So you know, I remember vividly my mom. Um, uh, there was a there was a child at school that that was going to have a was not going to have a great Christmas, and so uh, we shopped, we wrapped all the presents, we put them in a garbage bag, and set them um, at that person's house um, so that the parents could um, have a great Christmas for their kids. And and all of those things really stick out to me. Um, and, and really guide uh, who I am today. So I, I definitely credit credit my parents. Um, and um, uh, this is something that um, he now credits himself for, but um, I also uh, moved a lot when I was a kid. So I was born in, in Alabama. I went to elementary school in New Orleans. I went to middle school in uh, East Bay, San Francisco, high school in Houston and college in Austin. And um, with each successive move, I pitched the most royal fits that you have ever seen a daughter uh, pitch. Um, but, you know, I can look back and, and see that each of those moves um, added something to my life, um, along with making me a lot more adaptable. Well, so I think I think a lot of those. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of those themes are going to come through in, in the rest of the conversation here. But um so let's talk a little bit about you. You came to Indeed in August of 2019 as my chief of staff. I'd never had a chief of staff before. Um, it was a nine-month-long uh, search. I think I interviewed 27 people, um, and it wasn't until we met that. And actually, it was uh, our mutual friend Cindy Lowe who sent me an email saying, "This is the person you're going to hire." Um, and so along the way, I sort of, I figured out what a chief of staff uh, does, I guess, through, through us working together. Can you talk a little bit about what, what that job is? Because it's, it's not the same, not only at, uh, at different companies, but there's multiple chiefs of staff at Indeed, and, and you all are different in, uh, in different ways. So what was your experience joining Indeed, and, and, and how would you say that you approached this role? Well, um, you say it's different in different places and different 
organizations and different people, um, it's different every day. So I think, you know, the job, the job when I started and the job when I finished were pretty different roles. Um, but, you know, I look first and foremost at my, my job was, um, and I think we've talked about this, my job was to make you look great, to make you look successful, to accomplish what indeed needed to accomplish, and honestly, to have no one know who I was. So I was, you know, um, a huge part of the way that I looked at the job was um, how to create success for everybody, um, but not have to have credit for it. Um, and so that's really the the focus that I brought to the brought to the role. But one of the things that I thought was really important is that when you know people come to the CEO a lot and and they and and they're pretty nervous about you know, their presentation, they want it to be perfect. Um, and I spent a lot of time really coaching people through elements that I thought would make their work more successful and be more aligned with you. Um, but also um, coaching people through the idea that they needed to bring you a perfect product. Um, you by nature are, um, you love to co-create and you love to be a part of building whatever is happening at Indeed. And so I would watch people spend just, you know, inordinate amounts of time trying to create perfection that like they would unveil and it would be a ta-da moment and everything, you know, the clouds would part and birds would sing. And um, and that isn't what you love. Um, you love to see the whole thing. And so, um, you know, I really viewed my role as you know, not only helping you be successful, but helping the the people um, in our organization be successful. Um, you know, and so so the job on any given day could be. Um, I, I joke with people a lot. And, you know, you could be sitting in a board meeting, and you could be trying to figure out like how we're going to get um, lunch for like this group of people, or squeeze a meeting in. Like it's the most. It calls for like really high level thinking and really, really, you know, in the minutiae. Um, and both are extremely important when you think about running an organization like that. You have to think about the big picture, but you also have to think about, you know, the person that needs help on that particular day. Um, one of the great joys of the job um, is just all the people I get to meet um, and help um, and, and coach along the way. That's, it's probably the best part of my day, but it also means that, um, I, you don't have a lot of time for, um, being thoughtful or like scheduling out your own stuff. Cause you're really, you're really thinking about so much of your time and energy is thinking about, you know, the chief, um, and the staff. I think I, I always like to explain, you know, that, that part of the job is, is the, the chief part. It's, it's the making sure that the person that you're working most closely with is, you know, is productive and efficient and effective and happy. <laughs> um, and then the other part is the team, the staff and the, and the folks that, um, that are a key part of it. And, you know, um, one of, I think the things that you probably found about me is that I, um, I'm really into creating a sense of team. Um, and so I really want everybody on the SLT or everybody, you know, at the VP level or, you know, like I want everybody to feel um, ownership and investment in the mission because um, it takes all of us to get it done. There's there's not one person that and none of us can have all the ideas although I do have many ideas, um, as you know. Um, but I, I, they're always better, um, you know, if the, if the team is working on them together. So we started off the conversation with you talking about having to own up this morning to something that, that you feel like you, uh, you screwed up. And we've talked about this a lot, but my experience over many years is that uh, the people who are the best colleagues that I've ever worked with also happen to be their own toughest critics. And you know, so you're certainly, you, you excel in this area. Can you talk a little bit about a, your your experience of of looking at yourself through through this critical lens and how, how that's maybe served you and how maybe it doesn't serve you as well? Because, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm like that as well. So, um, but I, I know that that's, it's an important part of, of your experience. It is. Um, but I, I will, 
so so I do um, use a pretty critical lens on myself. And the the thing that I often come to, you know, in a situation like this morning is um, I think about, oh, this is not going well. And then I think about what was my part? What could I have done differently in this situation to create a better outcome? And the, the very best retrospective I've ever been a part of um, the team and I sat down, and and I used this brainstorming technique that Art Markman, uh, who's at UT, um, came up with, where um, it's sort of suited to introverts. So you you write, everybody writes and draws, and so instead of brainstorming out loud, um, you 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 do this. And so, but what I asked everybody to think about is, what is the thing that I could have done differently in this situation to avoid the outcome that we had. Um, and um, the head of our production support at the time and and all of these folks came to me later and they said, oh my gosh, I was so nervous going into that retro. You know, I was afraid it was all like, it was going to be like, oh, so-and-so did such and such. And because we all took the lens of what could I have done better, we actually got this amazing outcome. And they and And then everybody felt really good about it because... It wasn't we're looking for somebody to blame. Um, so in general, that is the approach I I do tend to take. Now, you have been um, the recipient of several of my own reviews of what I could do. <laughs> um, done differently. So, um, you know, we we had a we had a talk by Daryl Davis um, in New York, and so you and I went to New York. Um, I am an amoeba. I like to pack as much. Like I, I basically expand to the space I'm given. So I had packed your schedule full of like you're going to meet with these people and then these people and then these people, and it was a great event. But I found at least twenty things that I thought you know I could have done better. Um, and so I wrote you a note. I shared that with um, some folks that I was mentoring, and um, their response is a little like, "This is insane." Um, the level because I felt like the chairs could have been better and the like scheduling could have been better. But I think if you don't, you know, if you and, and there were some things that went great. The feel of the event was awesome. Daryl was amazing. Like there were all of these things that went great. But what I'm always focused on is what did I learn from what didn't go great because then because we're going to have another one granted we then worked from home for two years so that was a little some of my some of my lessons learned have not come into I haven't used them quite yet um but that's really that's really the way that I think about it and and what's been great about working with you is um just the extreme honesty of yeah these things could have been better and like, why in the world are you, like, worried about this thing? So I think, you know, it's in addition to the, like, looking at yourself with a critical eye, I think having a great, having great counsel that can say, that is a great thing to worry about. This is not a great thing to worry about um, is also super helpful. So I, I'm a, I am definitely a, I'm an extremely independent person. Um, but when it comes to uh, work and life, I I do not go it alone. So we can we can definitely talk more about that. So one offshoot of this though is that you're you're incredibly hard on yourself, but you're also an unbelievably committed supporter of other people. And um, I can't you know I can't express to to the people listening right now the number of times that I have sent an email to Lisa saying, "Hey, this person is great. Could you just?" talk with them for 30 minutes and just see what's up. And then a month later, they have a new job. And that happens over and over and over again. And clearly you talked about the, the commitment from your family to, to want to give back. But can, can you talk about what it means for you to be uh, a mentor and um, a supporter of other people? I am um, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, I'll start a little bit. A friend of mine passed away earlier this year and one of the things that I commented about him is that he's a super fan. And what, what it meant was, um, and, and his name is Chris. And, and when Chris was your fan, he was, he just was 100% behind you. And so he was, you know, uh, just like with his sports teams, he would cheer you on, but then he would also give you like tough criticism, you know? And so say like, Hey, you know, you could have done that better or or that that kind of thing. And 
And so that's really, that's really my approach is, um, you know, I look when I, when I see people that need help, um, I dig in in a way that is not just surface. So um, I'm interested in, you know, a lot of times people say like, oh, I'm interested in doing X or Y, but I spend a lot of time trying to understand why they think that is a good next step. Um, and I, I really try to understand, you know, what else might be out there um, and what else they should think of. Because I think it's hard sometimes to think of the best thing for, for yourself. Um, and so, you know, part of my approach is really um, to try to see something different um, that, that other people may not see. Um, and, and so I've used this approach sort of over and over again to find really amazing hidden talent. I had an analyst that was working for me and at one point, and I would ask him, hey, can I see, could you run this data for me? And I would get back the data, but I would also get, a, like, he would set up a weekly, like, recurring email that would deliver the updated data, you know, like, every week. And um, he did not have, he did not have a degree. He did not have a, the pedigree that you would, you would expect, but he was so smart. And so I have found over and over again, that if I look past whatever appears to be on the surface, um, I have found amazing, interesting people that just in many cases need a good introduction, a good like question or two asked about like, is that really what you want to do? And do you like this or do you like this? So um, part of it is just spending time with people. Um, part of it is just, um, I absolutely love to see people succeed. It's like the best thing in the world. Um, and I find, I get so much out of it. Um, so it's a little bit selfish, um, but, um, and I'm always a little more excited when it's someone who may not have, um, you know, a super traditional background who who might um, not have the chance to sort of shine on their own. Um, if I can get them introduced to um, someone, to a job, to, to something, um, I will do it. I will also tell you uh, that I have also, um, I also once tanked someone's um, job offer um, because I thought, I, the the company I'd gotten this person set up with an interview that everything was going great. And um, they called and said, oh, we'd like to talk to you about the person. And it was pretty evident about five minutes in um, that there was, I think, some racism involved. I think there was some classism involved. Um, and I got so belligerent in my reference call that I had to call the person and say, I I think I'd just tank this job for you. I don't think they're going to give you an offer because I was so mad at the way that this person was asking questions. Um, and so um, luckily uh, she did get an offer. She also turned it down um, because it was pretty clear that, that, that w what was happening. So, um, so it's really interesting because I'm not a, I'm not a like thoughtless cheerleader. Um, I'm really interested in, um, understanding people and what would put them in the best position to succeed, which is not always what they they sort of want or think would be the best. If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Emily Ramshaw, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Lisa Ramirez after this break. After you'd been at Indeed for about a year, we had a conversation about what you what you really want to do with your your career and your your time here or or anywhere. Can you can you tell a little bit about that story and what it is that you really want to focus on? Yeah, it definitely needs to start with the fact that it was it was my one year anniversary and you had emailed my husband, Randy, um, who, by the way, is a critical member of this 
particular operation. So uh, whether that's like helping me set up the Zoom lights or, you know, um, coaching me through um, through a speech, um, he's he's definitely my secret weapon. But um, Randy's comment back to you is like, oh, you should you should give her a handwritten letter. And I think he was thinking like a nice like card. He, he gives me great cards. And um, what arrived was a, I, it had to be three to four handwritten full page letter, um, which was the kindest thing that any boss has ever done for me. Um, because what was really special about it was that you demonstrated it and that, that you really saw me um, and what I was bringing to the table. And it, and it's often that we're so busy that we don't really see each other. We don't really see what what we're what we're doing. Um, and then you asked, you know, and I want to understand what you're getting out of this. Um, and so um, I thought about it a lot. I thought, you know, like let me make up some great job title. Let me think, think. and I and I realized that there wasn't a, a necessarily a job title or something that I wanted. What I really wanted was to make indeed a great place for women to work. Um, and so that's what I told you. And I even said, and I have no idea, like how that's going to happen, but like, that's what I want to do. Um, and so um, you were so gracious and saying, okay, let's work on that together. Um, I really not only appreciate the lovely um, letter that you gave me, which was just, you know, far more meaningful than any material item could have been. Um, but I also appreciated the fact that you were interested in what I wanted to accomplish. And um, also, um, open to my non-traditional <laughs> suggestions of what that might be. So, um, I know it's sort of an obvious question, but can you talk about why that's important? What it is that, that led you to that of all of the things that you could say, why is that the thing that you want to do? Um, well, I, I, I just truly believe that when we can all come to work and contribute in a meaningful way, it's just a a far more powerful situation. But to be clear, you know, I've been a a woman in the workforce for over 20 years, um, and I've had really varying degrees of experience. When I started in consulting, there were a lot of women for me to look up to. Um, I had great mentors that were all women. Um, and then as I got into fi- fintech, financial services, um, that wasn't the case. Um, and so it was, it was, there were some very obvious things like, you know, a lot of stuff happened at the golf course. A lot of stuff happened over, you know, scotch across from the office. Some stuff happened at places I didn't even want to go to. Um, and so it was really clear that I had to sort of, um, there were going to be some places that I couldn't participate. Um, but yet, you know, I was d- doing just as much work. Um, I was doing, contributing just in, in, in very similar ways to, to the men uh, that I was around. Uh, one particularly interesting um, time, um, and, you know, uh, folks talk about microaggressions and, and, and sort of the, the, the impact that what people says to us has on us. Um, I, I probably take it a little differently because um, it just gets me fired up, but um, but I was in um, Washington, D.C. with my colleague, um, Kimberly, and we had just gone through probably the hardest negotiation I have ever experienced. I mean, we are talking, we did the superwoman pose before we walked in. We, you know, nailed it. We came back to the law firm that we were working with. And the senior partner looked at the two of us and said, y'all didn't even get a chance to go shopping, did you? And in that moment, all of that work was just completely minimized in the in this moment of, you know, we had gone, we had worked our tails off. And, and so one of the things that I noticed when I got to Indeed, and you and I talked about this, is that I would see women's names on presentations and then someone else would deliver that information. And I pointed it out a couple of times and I would always follow up with the person who clearly did the work and say, I, I'm just curious, like, why you weren't the speaker in that particular situation. Um, and so I think it's so important in everything that we do to make everybody feel that they're a part of the conversation, that they're a part of the work, 
um, and that they have opportunities. Um, and so that's really important. I, I don't know that you know this, but um, I read uh, Wolfpack by Abby Wambach, and I read it right before the February um, leadership uh, offsite. Um, and I gave it to every woman that as a VP and above, because I think there's so many great lessons in, in that book. Um, about really showing up for each other, um, being there for each other. And, and so I, I just, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's something that I've, I've learned is important along the way. Um, and I've learned that it's not, um, we're, we're far from solving it across the board. It's probably clear to anyone who's, who's listening here that, um, uh, self-reflection, self-inquiry, um, self-examination are, are things that are important to you. Um, so you went through a process uh, a little while back having a 360, um, which is something that we do for, for folks in leadership here uh, and at different levels of the organization um, and started working with a coach. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? I can. One of the things that's so important about admitting mistakes is that if you... I feel very much that if I understand what's wrong, I can own fixing it. And so I've, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always about, um, you know, not only like understanding what mistake was made, but then owning the fix. Um, and, and that goes all the way back to, I'll take a slight diversion. This will not shock you. Um, it goes all the way back to me putting the wrong phone number on a communicate, on an, on a letter that went out to, I think hundreds of thousands of people early in my career. Um, it was supposed to be for our call center and it rang to some, some company in Argentina, I believe. Um, and I was devastated. I was in tears. And the CTO of our company called me and he said, Lisa, I once took down the entire British banking system. This is nothing. You will get over this. Everything will be fine. We just need to reroute that phone number to our call center. And so I got on, you know, fixing it. And from then on, I really realized that like, if there is a problem and you own fixing it, you are, you become unafraid to fail because you know that you can fix it. If you spend all your life trying to be perfect, you will never succeed because perfection doesn't exist. It's like the horizon. It doesn't, you don't ever get there. And you don't try things because you only do the things that you can be really, really good at. And so um, all that to say that in the 360 process, um, I received feedback um, that I found deeply disturbing. Um, because I just didn't think it was me. Um, and so specifically, and anyone who knows me has heard this a million times, but it said that I was timid and passive um, and and very behind the scenes and, you know, just, just, and, and so um, I copied and pasted it and sent it to my old boss, Chuck. And I said, look, I can change <laughs> because I've always been known as being like pretty brash and outspoken. Um, he suggested I was being punked. Um, and that it was someone else's 360. Um, but it, upon reflection, what I realized was that that's how I was showing up at Indeed. It wasn't who I was, but it was really how I was. It was really how I had, you know, taken on the job as chief of staff and, you know, some early feedback had been to like really just, you know, like be quiet, listen. And, and so I, I did it. And, um, and then I really thought, is this a place for me to work? And so um, I was walking with my friend Megan um, and I was, I was going over like, oh, like I've, you know, I've really changed who I am and I'm just not sure that this is like, this can be, maybe it's just not the right place for me. Um, and Megan just said, this is BS. She just called me out on it and said, you're, that's, you're really good at being a chief of staff. You're really great at this job and you work for a great company. And I thought, that's all really true. Um, and so then I started working with my coach, Elle, and um, it's really transformed things for me. Um, so one of, one of the things was like, I had definitely gotten into my own head about the whole situation and thinking like, oh, I've just, I've changed myself and this is such a problem. And it wasn't. 
that was all that was all manufactured that was the story i told myself my my um uh, i think you you talk about your own fake news right that that was what that was what i had invented um and the truth was that you know the organization was totally open um to hearing what i had to say um good bad um and indifferent and and it it really you know both the 360 which was an, an amazing process and um the subsequent um intense 10 weeks of coaching that i went through um really helped me dig so much deeper than i ever had into some of the way that i lead um my coach made me fill in the blank like i lead I lead by, or, you know, my power comes from talking about power. That was not something that I like necessarily felt comfortable with. Um, but I explored so much and got so much deeper than I ever had. Um, I now give her name to everyone because I really wish that I'd done, um, you know, that kind of level of 360 and coaching so much earlier in my career. Like that would have been really remarkable to have had, you know, that level of depth and understanding of myself and my, you know, my react, both my reactions to people as well as the way that I was showing up. Um, and I'll tell you this one story that I think you'll appreciate um, in that um, at one point, Elle was explaining to me that like there were these phases and, and, and discernment, I was just supposed to do nothing. I was supposed to like really allow like, you know, sort of things to like, um, you know, happen or, you know, for the universe to reveal itself. And so I said, okay, so am I supposed to like, I'm supposed to be quiet. And she's like, no, 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 it's like nothing. You're, you're not supposed to do anything. And I said, okay, so I'm supposed to meditate. She said, no, it's not about meditating. I'm supposed to walk like, no, 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 no. It's not those things. And I was like, I don't have words for this thing called nothing. Like I just realized that there was like nothing in me that could just do nothing. Um, you know, and, and like I said, hard work is really important to me. I got my, I had my first job at 11. I was a paper carrier for the San Ramon Valley Times. Um, I got up every morning at 5.30 and delivered papers so that I could go to space camp. So like, I have literally been working and sort of thinking and, and, and moving for so long um, that I just said, oh, that is, I don't, I just don't know what you're talking about. And so, um, she's been super helpful in helping me slow down and really, um, be much more thoughtful about what's happening, how I'm reacting to it, and then what that means going forward. You know, anyone who, who gets to know you at all, um, gets to understand pretty quickly how important your family is to you and, you know, you're, all about Mo and Big Guy and Randy, but of course the sort of center of all that is your amazing daughter, Marley, who is a force of nature um, and clearly will be running the world someday. Um, so one of the things, and I think millions of people went through this experience, but um, I got to, my kids are older, so I didn't have this experience during the pandemic, but in the middle of all of this, which was doing an incredibly difficult job, which got way more difficult because we were, nobody knew what we were doing and we were figuring all the stuff out. And at the same time, like millions of people all over the world, you had to figure out how to run a school in your house. And, um, and so can you talk about being a parent in the middle? I mean, you, you're a hard worker, you have a big job, you have a lot of stuff going on. And this is, um, you know, a central part of who you are as a person. Um, and so how, how do those things work together? Well, in the um, spirit of admitting failure, um, I learned very distinctly during this time that I am not a good teacher. Um, and so um, in, you know, we we went we went to work from home and Marley was still going to school. And so I was working all day. She was going to school. I was still working out like and it was like sort of this like fantasy land um, of time. And then um, and then they came home from school and um, Ma Marley is so social um, and and um, is also um, she's also dyslexic. 
And so for her, school is really, really hard. And like this, she goes for the social. She goes because she really enjoys being with her friends. And so um, we basically ripped away from her um, every defense mechanism she has for this thing that's really hard for her. Um, And so she was just stuck with school and no social and a mom that was working quite quite a bit. And so we did everything. We moved this desk upstairs and I, she sat next to me. We did Zooms together. We did, okay, that didn't work. I mean, I I felt like the pandemic was like just move furniture around for a while because we just were trying to find the optimal configuration. Um, And then when school was going to start back and we, we somehow cobbled it together through the summer. At one point, you and I looked at each other and said, we both have these girls that could really use something, you know, use someone. And so um, I asked your daughter, Maisie, if she would meet with Marley uh, just once a day. Um, and then I learned that Marley had been hiding um, around the house and asking Maisie, like, guess where I am. And it turned out she was like in my dirty clothes. And so at the moment where you realize that your boss's daughter has like seen your you know, dirty underwear, you've kind of lost, like, that's it. Like, that's sort of the point at which you're like, okay, anything goes here. Like, we're just trying to make it through. And then I um, really, you know, wanted her to have a a good, um, you know, so there, there were things like we, you know, we went to my parents' house for several weeks at a time so that, um, you know, she could be around my parents um, and that um, she would have a little bit more socialization we we did start a pod school. Um, I checked off um, head of school as another career aspiration that I am not not suited for. Um, hiring teachers, you know, managing parents and schedules and all of that was just not not great for me. And so we sent her back to school early. But even in that, we were managing. Um, you know, school only went till noon and then we had to, we needed someone to pick her up and then we needed, you know, and and she needed tutoring. And so when, actually, when I talked to people about it, you know, cause, and then my grandfather died and we like, and she couldn't go back to school. When I think about it, I get a little bit stressed because of everything that we did in the moment. I just kept going but when I really reflect, it was awful. <laughs> and I get overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of change and sort of, and so it's been really great to have her back in school and activities. So she swims, she does volleyball, she's now playing basketball, and she's and she does acting. And I will say that one sort of like port in the storm was that her amazing acting teacher, um, Alana Adderley, um, kept going. Um, so she did class by Zoom and then she did, um, we called it, she calls it Broadway in the Backyard. Um, and so she would show up and do small classes of kids that like were already kind of potted up. And that alone, like, so we had some really critical touch points throughout it all um, that really helped us make it through a great a, a really great um, nanny, Brooke, who 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 took her places. But you and I talked about this. One of the things I realized was that I got kind of disconnected from her and all of that. And and so at the beginning of this school year, I wrote you a note and just said, I am always taking Marley to school. That is, I am, I have to move meetings around. I will, I will make it work. Um, but this is this is my commitment. And, you know, of course, she wrote back. Um, I had a laundry list of things in that email. And the one thing that you responded to was like 100 percent on, you know, on on the adjusting the schedule uh, around Marley. And and that was really critical. But the other thing um, that I do with her is and that this is really important to me um, is that she is really included um, in my work life just as much as I am in her extracurricular life. And so 
when we were working, uh, when the team was working on the Super Bowl ad, she saw all the various cuts. She did suggest that she might have been a better singer than Christian Singleton, which I let her know is not in the cards. Um, but as you know, she does come up with Indeed jingles quite a bit. Um, so her latest Just heard one, one last week. One yeah. last week. She recorded it in the car. She's available anytime, Jennifer Warren. Um, but... Um, but I think it's really helpful for her to not just see me work, but to have some sense of what I'm doing. And so, um, and so I do let her, I, I let her know when it's a good day. I let her know when it's not been a great day. Um, and, and she offers, she offers helpful things like, you know, I'll, I'll say it's been a particularly challenging day. And she goes, mom, you wanted a challenge. That's why, that's why you left that other job. You, you wanted this challenge. And so, um, I always find her, her, her feedback, um, is what I like to call it really, really helpful. Um, but it's also part of, you know, the way that I live life is that like, when you get me, you get my dad, big guy, you get Mo, you get my sisters, Amy and Rebecca, who are just amazing support system. You get Marley, you get Randy, you get, you get the whole package because my sister gave us a t-shirt once that says, um, don't mom alone. Um, and that's, that's really kind of how I live life is, is as a, as a team effort. So. And, and you just dropped off your Christmas card, which is signed Team Ramirez. So it's definitely, definitely a team effort. It is a, it is a team effort. And, um, actually, you know, my, that, that really came from, um, so just for everybody's awareness, um, our, we call our family Team Ramirez, everything, like we have shirts, we have, everything is, is, is around this concept of team. And that's because, my husband and I were engaged and something particularly challenging was happening. And he just looked at me and he said, we're a team. Like, this is like, like it's, it's you and I. And, um, from that mo moment forward, I felt, you know, when you're on a team, like you just feel like you can accomplish so much more. Um, and so, um, we actually like everything with our wedding, um, everything since then has been team Ramirez, but like the, the underlying, thing there is that that's because that's that is the way that we live our life and that's the way that we approach it um and it's just really important um you know to sort of like always ground ground ourselves um in that well we could um we could go on for a long time uh but i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up here with the the question that we like to close with which is um is there anything in your experience since the start of the pandemic that has left you optimistic for the future? Yeah, I, um, well, you know, there, there are some things that I just really think that we might have learned and I, and I, and I just hope that we take advantage of those lessons. And so when I think about, um, the, some of the artifice that we've just sort of that's melted away. Um, so, so some of the filters that we had to say what success looked like and what success wasn't. Um, so I hope we continue to to knock those down um, and really look past that. Um, I I hope that we take the data from that time when no one was going anywhere um, and use that to really think about how we treat the planet. Because um, I think you know you know, when you think about what we're data-driven decision makers, I hope that like we could, we could really take that, that moment in time, that great experiment. Um, I'm hopeful that we've, we've started to realize how essential childcare and education is to the future of our economy. When child, when childcare and education doesn't work, like the economy basically grinds to a halt. And, and, I, and I hope that we really take that so seriously. Um, and, and I hope that opportunities that opened up in this moment for people continue. I, I hope we, you know, really listen to frontline workers um, when we think about the past. And, and um, I sort of mentioned this to you earlier, but I hope I never have to go to a grocery store ever again. That's a, that's an experience that I like would love to leave. Um, oh, there was one other thing I was thinking about is that like, I love, I hope we, I hope we, um, really, um, normalize the use of masks when we're sick. 
like I, I love <laughs> it's been so phenomenal um to have been in this like mask wearing socially distanced m- mode where you know where we aren't catching colds all the time and that kind of thing I, that would be a really fabulous thing to to continue well thank you for sharing all that thank you for um for this whole conversation but really thank you know i um what had a chance after hearing all these stories to to get to meet a big guy at a performance of marley's a while back and he pulled me aside and said you know what you got to do with lisa just keep her busy so if uh if big guy i'm sure is is listening to this i'm doing my best um i think it's working and uh but uh i just want to say thank you um because working with you has certainly changed my entire relationship with work in the most profound way of anyone that I've ever worked with. And whatever's going on in Indeed uh, that is working, um, you're a huge part of that. I'm super excited for your new role and for you to step out of being behind the scenes and onto the leadership page on Indeed. And um, looking forward to the next many years of working together. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Chris. And I, I really appreciate, um, you know, it wasn't just the letter, but I I definitely feel more seen and valued um, than I really ever have in my career. And so I, I, I so appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to, you know, we've spent a lot of time together, um, but that you've taken the time to really get to know me um, much, much more deeply than just you know, the work product. And so I I really appreciate that. This was fantastic. Thank you, Lisa, for uh, being a part of it. And thank you to everyone who has helped um, get uh, here to help off the ground and continue to run. Aid McLaughlin, uh, first and foremost, has been our producer from the very, very start. David Hartstein, um, who does an extraordinary uh, job of all of uh, putting this together and releasing it into the outside world. And uh, Jacob Bennett and uh, Ed Blizniak, who are um, here pretty much every week, just making sure that you can all see and hear everything and that recordings get up in time. And, uh, you know, we just have an unbelievable team behind all of this. Hopefully it looks easy, but it's not. But thanks everyone who's a part of this. Thank you for joining. Thanks for your questions. And uh, we'll see you next year on Here to Help. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.